Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. there with you, Kak? 
She is not. I thought she had called in. No? No, she's not. Uh, let me check uh, to see if any messages were left uh, for me about it. No, she is not. Um, would you like me to play a song while you uh, contact her? Yes, let's see if we can do that. Um, yeah, let me give her a call and see what's up. I, I know she's prepared to be on the show. Maybe she just lost the number. I'll check my, uh, uh, yes, play a song, please. <laughs> we'll be okay. right back. Thank you.
Greetings, this is Hercules again. You're listening to the Elysium Project, and we are now going ahead with Kak Young's The Art of Healing, and Kak's guest tonight is Lori Nadell, author of The Five Gifts, and the topic is The Secret Rise of PTSD. Thank you very much, Hercules, and welcome, Dr. Lori. We had introduced you previously prior to our little technical problem, but now that we're here, thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me as your guest. I'm really looking forward to our interview. Um, the timing is really um, synchronistic in a way. You know, Jung said that synchronicity is uh, an unusual or meaningful coincidence. And it, it's like when when events coincide, that um, that that change and shift how we think. You know, these kind of like like mind shaking, mind shaping events. It's really incredible that you invited me to speak at this time because we didn't know uh, consciously that we were going to be in in a week where everything is reverberating so profoundly. Yes, and and and. I just uh, in in the uh, wind up to bringing you on, I had said that we are in deep recovery right now, and what a perfect person you are to have on the show because that is your specialty. I also spoke about your credentials and how you are seen uh, by other professionals in the industry as a leader in this field of PTSD and trauma and abuse. So it's a perfect week to help us all heal. And I would like to just set that intention for this show that whoever is tuning in and listening, if you have been affected by any of the disasters, be they weather, mass murder, or any kind of challenges to your community, may you listen deeply to the words of Dr. Lori Nadell. And, and tonight, I really would like your healing to be able to begin by what we ha- have to offer on this show. So uh, let's start, Lori, a little bit easing into this subject. We want to talk about PTSD, but we also want to speak about the five gifts your book, the impact that it has had on the industry and many people's lives because you went through this yourself. You have first-hand experience of disaster and trauma. So why don't you just take us a little bit back into your personal experience? Well, um, thank you for that uh, glowing introduction. I, I very much appreciate it, and I respect the work that you do as a healer, uh, your work as an author, and as a radio host. Uh, this is uh, just such an amazing opportunity to, uh, to really think about what's needed right now when we've had, as I said, such a, a mind-altering um, you know, reality shift uh, which has been coming for a while, but it, it's almost like you know when the cracks in the earth get to a certain point or reverberation reaches a certain point, things start to break apart, and it feels like you know our culture we we have a collective broken heart, and we, we're breaking apart because of this, and it's um, we have not experienced this in our lifetimes, and and maybe. Uh, during the Civil War to a certain degree, I guess during the Vietnam War. Um, it, there have been times in our history where there's been a tremendous amount of you know, tension or friction or uh, bloodshed even between groups of people. 
but um, there's something that's so devastating uh, about these particular, this wave of events that's hitting us, you know, on our own shores. And it, it kind of, it's like opening a wound in, in everybody's heart. And it's really terrifying, but it's also bringing, you know, many communities closer together. And um, that's one of the things that I I learned myself. I lost my house to Hurricane Sandy. Uh, Prior to that, many years earlier, I had been a reporter in uh, in South America in in a dictatorship, a military dictatorship. And I was working on a story for Newsweek. And uh, the source informed on me to be head of the military junta, and I had to escape the country. And uh, as a result of that, I I, I did a lot of work for human rights uh, and human rights for journalists for uh, for about ten years. I was heavily involved in that um, because it just shook me to my core that there would be violations of human dignity and human rights um, on that on that level as we've seen in other countries, you know, we've seen it, um, you know, we've read about it, we, we've, uh, you know, we've seen video of it. And, and now it feels like it's like something is curdling and our country is, is, is becoming one of those, you know, bitter, anguished places where um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of hostility and hatred and bloodshed and it's painful. Why do you think everybody is so angry? And I make that as a sweeping generalization for a purpose. But why do you think everybody's just on fire and so angry? Well, I I know this is going to sound really weird, but um, there's a lot of technology, and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there are shifts in um, electromagnetic um, energies and frequencies in the atmosphere that you know we're certainly not conscious of but which affect our dna and you know it affects us you know neurologically and uh, so there there are a lot of influences that are conscious like you know being exposed to information 24 7 to uh, the speed of the internet to um, the overwhelming range of choices and options and the fact that we're developing a very short attention span and with a short attention span that means we get very easily frustrated and when we get easily frustrated if we you know haven't learned how to kind of hold on to emotions or how to delay reactions or you know how to think about what we're feeling we end up like two-year-olds and it's like I want it I want it now there was a study that if people, if, if it took more than two seconds for something to download, people around the world, everywhere, that there was a Microsoft study, people got impatient. I mean, the two seconds, a two-second attention span, you know, that's less than a goldfish. So there's eight seconds. And so, <laughs> you know, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're making ourselves very vulnerable to um, to manipulation and to disturbing images and to um, ideas that are planted insidiously, like when the Russians infiltrated, you know, our uh, social media sites to influence the election. That's kind of how it's done. You know, it's it's it's, it's creating a factoid and calling it a meme and putting it out there, you know, in cyberspace. And, uh, you know, they act like little, you know, like microbes in the mind. And millions and millions of us are, you know, we're being influenced by them all the time without realizing it. 
And well, I, what do and we do? Is, you know, it, it's a really tough one because it, it really is, I think that the the energy of, you know, what to me are the the foundation for, you know, for building a foundation for healing and, and a stronger sense of, of interdependence. I think the five gifts are, are really essential because we have humility, which is, you know, the foundational gift, which is like, oh, my God, why did this happen to me? And humility says, you know, we don't get to choose our suffering in this world. And everybody, you know, nobody gets through life without suffering. And, you know, there's something that puts it on a kind of more universal ocean of suffering. And we feel connected to other people many of us then feel more connected to other people because there's a bond of humility and there's a bond of empathy and uh, the the patience is something that you know we've lost completely because we don't know how to handle frustration if after two seconds you know you're ready to like start screaming at the computer or your phone and I get like that too sometimes and I go like what's wrong with you? You know, who acts like that? I, you know, um, I see it, you know, from a different generation. So, you know, when I can see how um, people's attention spans are getting shorter and the wiring in the brain is probably, you know, uh, changing to accommodate, you know, this rapid input of pixels of information. So, you know, we're, we're evolving genetically, I guess, and, and technologically and, and, at the expense of empathy and, and the, the, at the expense of compassion. And I think that, that ultimately those are the gifts that kind of, you know, carry us, you know, to the, the real phases of healing because it's a long well, process. Well, yeah, you ask in your book, um, uh, well, we'll, we'll go through the, the five gifts, um, uh, here in in this segment, and but the first one, you ask, would you rather have one million Twitter followers or humility? Right. <laughs> and yes. you know, which one would you rather have? And of course, right. you assume that the reader is going to choose uh, the Twitter followers. Right. Um, but but it would well, be the wiser people, thing to choose humility. Right. Well, humility, humility will outlast your Twitter followers for sure. Um, you know, humility is is uh, you know it, it's it's ageless, it's timeless. You know, it's 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 like a foundational part of the psyche. It, it's it's part of who we are because we can't control it. We just we can't control everything, and that's you know these horrible disasters. You know, they 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 make us they render us helpless, and in that that horror and helplessness. Uh, we we really you know we're we're humbled by these things that can happen that are just beyond our understanding and control. And okay, so humility. humility. All right, I so think. humility then is not being weak. It's not no, um, no. you know uh, mea culpa. It's not being uh, sorry for everything. It's not uh, you know taking the second place in line. Humility is really a state of mind of understanding then that there is something greater than you that is at, at control. And so with humility, you would try then not to fix everything, but to accept it and then. And work through it. Well, yeah, well, to accept it, because um, you may not, 
you know, we don't really work through it in a conscious way. That part of the work is is conscious and mindful. But you know, a lot of we we talk about um, you know after a catastrophic loss, the 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 impact of what we just took in, uh, or witnessed, or, or survived, or, or the loss that we went through, it's visceral, and we we actually feel it in our body. And there's a there's a, a the process of digesting the raw emotion and the physical part of it is called metabolizing. And you know, just like we metabolize food, and it it can take three to five years to metabolize uh, an event like the ones that have happened this weekend for people who are directly involved. And now, can they be metabolized negatively? Um, no, they're being metabolized. You know, the, the, I think the inference is, is that they're being absorbed, you know, into the, the kind of the bloodstream of the psyche. You know, they're, they're kind of helping you to, you know, you, you can't accept. I, I think after Parkland, I was in a debriefing session with um, – Dr. Jeffrey Mitchell of the uh, International Critical Incident Stress Foundation, um, and he works a lot with. Uh, we work a lot with first responders after events like this, and uh, and he was saying to uh, one group who had uh, been at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas on the day of the mass shooting, he said, you know, you you will never make sense of this, but you will eventually come to terms with it, and and you learn how to live with it, with the feelings that will never really go away, which are the feelings of, of having lost something of profound importance. But you, it, it hones you in a way. And it, in many cases, it makes us more compassionate. It makes us more um, connected to each other, makes us more, um, makes us more honest with ourselves. I mean, there are a lot of benefits to it. Just not, not a fun so humility way to get there. is the is the gateway. Humility then yeah. is the gateway to compassion, understanding, and maybe forming deeper social bonds. I think that that's uh, an excellent way to put it. But also, it it kind of takes you into a foundation within yourself, where you, your ego has to get out of the way and say, you know, I I don't control everything that happens in the world, and there are very beautiful things that happen that I don't control and there are also horrible things that can happen and you know I'm not the greatest force in the universe and that's you know true humility is is to be humbled by a force far greater than ourselves and you talk about patience being the second gift and is that sort of like sitting by the wayside and saying, well, I have no control, therefore I just have to wait this out? Is this kind of a situation where you do nothing? Or what does patience really look like in this healing process? Well, I think patience is when, um, you know, the hurt goes on longer than, you know, people are telling you that it should. Because, you know, the, the help cycle after, say, you know, events, events like El Paso or, um uh, Dayton or uh, Park Parkland, for example, or um, other other places. The the help cycle, you know, people are interested and they want to help for two months, maybe three months, and then um, you you start hearing from people. Sometimes people you're very close to, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you over this yet? And uh, sometimes it can start as early as two months, three months after an event, and there's no longer the same kind of media attention on the event. And so, you know, you're, you're left to cope with this loss um, on your own. 
and sometimes you know it's like a very deep river and it's going to take longer for that river to kind of become a stream and then just kind of you know be absorbed you know in, into who you are becoming but that that's an organic process and just like we wouldn't yell at you know a tree or a flower if the flower was late you know we patience is the gift that lets us accept we may not be as far along as we would like to be or we think we should be Boy, that's really true, Laurie. I think, uh, you, you know, as you know and, and and the audience out here knows, I've told the story, I was in the Thomas Fire, and we are surrounded by construction day in, day na- day out. Noise, dirt, uh, strangers, all kinds of pressure. Uh, our continual challenge is to not only have patience for the process, but to also be patient because we only lost 30% of our house and I was able to get that back together in about four months. Whereas our neighbors, it's going on almost two years now and they're still not even half built, uh, some not even started. So our patience, so, you mm-hmm. know, for our neighbors has to be a constant daily right. uh, activity because right. they're still suffering the ripples of that fire in their daily life, and they lost everything. So patience is a big component of this kind of recovery. I, I certainly know that myself. Well, I really appreciate your saying that because um, there, there is, you know, a level, an, an element with the fire or a natural disaster, and, and even sometimes with a, a mass shooting uh, like in Las Vegas, where there's a huge financial trauma. There's a, there's, well, there's no such thing as a small trauma. So there, there's a significant financial trauma that accompanies the healing process. So that after you um, go through the horror of the fire or, or the tornado or the hurricane um, and you, you, you begin the process of, of cleaning up or picking up or you know, whatever it is you're going to do, you, you have to make survival decisions under stress. And for some people, that state goes on for years. And um, it's not uncommon for FEMA to be you know, present in a location you know, for many years after the event. These are these are these are these are massively destruct, destructive to the uh, economies of these neighborhoods, and yes. it's it's yes. it's never talked about. But you know it's it's um it's a huge problem. I mean, bankruptcies go up, I think, twenty six percent two years after an event in those states that have had some kind of a disaster disastrous event in Las Vegas, where uh, I think fifty four people. Uh, were were killed by the gunmen uh, at the uh, hotel where they're having the concert. The hotel company, uh, I think it's MGM Grand, are suing the survivors and relatives of the victims of that shooting. Um, they've actually sued them. The company has sued them, and the company claims that they're in compliance with the um, uh, Homeland Security regulations for um, you know safety training with regard to um shoot you know shooters and other attackers and uh and they feel that they're being i guess maybe wrongly sued so they're suing the victims they're suing the survivors survivors relatives and and that's like a financial war 
that's being waged on these people that went through this horrible massacre. I mean, the, the, the trauma that, that goes on at a financial level after a major event like this, uh, it's spooky and it's never talked about. No, no. Um... And that's where the patience comes in because, you know, if you're going through it yourself, then you have to be really patient with yourself because sometimes things don't get done in the time that you want them done. You know, sometimes things drag out and then you incur a lot of extra costs that you weren't expecting. And it's, um, you know, it, it, it affects your, your sense of self-worth. It affects your sense of control. You start to feel, you know, vulnerable and anxious and unsafe. And, um, you know, those are kind of, I call them the three elephants in the room that are part of the long-term trauma that has to be healed and the gift of patience says, you know, listen, it might be three years later, it might be five years later, there, my heart doesn't have a timetable, and I just feel the way I feel. And yes. that's okay. You know, and and you, I think the ripple of repercussions is really interesting right. to point out, because I think El Paso and uh, Ohio, they will never they will never ever be the same it will affect yeah. them and their community yeah. and and walmart as well it will affect oh, every yes. place that's been touched by the violence in ways that we we won't even hear about but that will be very deep and penetrating for those individuals involved i i see it every day here with the fire and the city council and the permits and um, all of the the foot dragging that goes on, it's just horrendous. And, you know, I keep asking, why are you doing that to these people that lost everything? And there is a certain amount of uh, a reluctance to spend more money, to employ more people to handle this. But, you know, who suffers? The victims. The victims continue right. to suffer yes. in this situation. Exactly. exactly. They continue to suffer. It's a silent suffering. It's an invisible suffering. And um, and sometimes, you know, the, the consequences are even more devastating than the loss of the home or the, the initial event. You know, because sometimes it feels that on top of what you went through, you're now being, you're being punished or you're being betrayed or you're being, um, you know, somehow or other um, ostracized. And uh, you're not being supported for what you've been through. And people get impatient because, you know, they, they're they being fed the disaster du jour on the news. And so, you know, ask them a week from now what happened last week. And uh, they won't remember where the shootings were or even if the shootings were last week. Because everyone's attention span is moving so quickly that, you know, that, that you know, memory is distorted now. And last week is like ancient history. Well, yes, and I think when we recall, I mean, I happened to be in New York for Sandy Hook, and I was there present, and there's a very big difference uh, being around the area and having those feelings and those vibrations, mm -hmm. if you will. And I think that the Sandy Hook people now are still fighting for their rights, yes. are still fighting for justice, and they continue to suffer the loss of their children and the loss of... Course. of uh, of of the physical place. I mean, it's just it is horrendous for them, and yet they've been overshadowed by these other traumas. It, it is it, your third gift, you say, is empathy. The third gift. Right. Now, is that right. where we come in to have the empathy for the victims and ourselves after this kind of a disaster and a trauma? 
Well, I think, you know, empathy of all, I, I think of these as the five unbearable gifts because let's face it, nobody wants patience. You know, you want, you, you want it now. You, you, you know, patience is, patience is the gift that helps you handle the frustration of not getting what you want now. And empathy is the gift that feels good. You know, the more you give, the more you receive. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very uplifting. And, uh, but, but, but the, Empathy, you know, cycle doesn't last very long after a, you know, disaster, and you know, people, you know, have to get into their own meeting their own survival needs or whatever, and uh, so there's a disconnect that happens, and it can be very abrupt. And so, what we really need after a critical event like you know these shootings last weekend is a sustainable empathy. It, it's empathy for the long haul. You know, it's not judging somebody if two or three or five years later um, they're still, you know, mourning or they're still, you know, upset or depressed or, you know, if they, their heart is breaking. You know, it's uh, it's it's the it's the empathy to say, hey, you know, what do you need? Can I help you? Um, you know, do you want to go for a walk? Is there something you'd like to do? And um, you know, that's that's sustainable empathy. It, it's you know, so it's it's real friendship. You know, sustainable empathy, and and that is something that we also have to give ourselves, don't you think, right. Lori? We have to have Absolutely. empathy for ourselves and our process, and maybe just take it easy. Uh, you have a lot of things about self care in your book too, about what's important to to have that empathy for ourselves, that patience for ourselves, right. and that humility to know that hey, there's not much I can do about it, but I can take care of myself. I can make sure that I can greet the, the next day and and be strong for others too. Right, absolutely, beautifully, beautifully put. It's an empathy. Um, you know, it's kind of like a, a chain that connects us. You know, very fine but very strong uh, gold chain that connects us. You know, because we're we're connected by our concern for each other. And our, our respect, or um, you know, that that you that you might need something that I would be able to uh, offer to you or or to help you with that would you know make your day go easier or help you survive in some way, or you know just just kind of you know lend a friendly ear because people do need to talk about their feelings. And, they do. Uh, and and, and and process this whole thing right. and not to go over and over and oh it's my story it's my story let me tell you my story but really the more you hear it the more you begin to be able to accept that as you were saying metabolize it and and bring it inside it it because it's a shattering event and what do you yes. do with all that shatter you have to do right. something with it absolutely absolutely and that's how you know, also how you begin you know, to heal, because um, I talk about uh, vitamins for the soul, and uh, I think it's it's uh, chapter chapter nine, I think it is, uh, and it's 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 the process of taking at least five minutes a day to do something that that nurtures your soul, because you know when when you kind of get shot out of a cannon and life as you know it, you know, gets kind of shattered or broken apart. You know, and you you know, you land and you have to start making survival decisions very quickly while you're still in shock. And there's a kind of adrenaline to that, but um, you know, it it can cause all kinds of physical symptoms and it can lead to anxiety and burnout. 
um, if nothing else. And even though it's kind of very energizing, uh, also in a in a weird way. And so it's um, it's important to to have that empathy for yourself by giving yourself these little vitamins for the soul moments uh, throughout the day so that you can let your soul catch up and and kind of breathe again from the inside out because um, there's only so long that we can be running on empty. And, you know, after a disaster, you you run on empty for quite a while because you're in survival, financial survival, physical survival, emotional survival. So the empathy yeah. for ourselves is huge, you know, because um, it's a lot that we have to process and a lot that we have to move through in order to get to um, a, a place uh, you know, of, of calm and rest within ourselves. Which leads you, uh, you, us and you into your fourth gift, which is called forgiveness. Now, that's huge for everybody. The forgiveness word comes up and people go, oh, no, who do I have to forgive now for doing what? But let's talk about the broader concept of what forgiveness really means. Well, that's a that's a good good question because it, it, this is something that comes up in many different religions and spiritual traditions. And I think it, it means uh, something different specifically in, in, in different religions. Um, I always think of forgiveness as compassion, but it, it's also, uh, I, as I talk about, it, you know, we think of forgiveness as a light switch where you know it's either off or on. But if you think of forgiveness as a dial, you know, an old analog model of a dial or a spectrum, so you can be, it can be moving all the time. If you step into what it's like to be forgiving, so that you activate what it's like to be forgiving, then um, you can be forgiving 5% of the time right now and maybe 20% tomorrow. And, you know, you may never get to 100%, but you could get to 100% at some point. And then you can go back to 60%. It can, it, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no real end game when you step into what it's like to be forgiving because that automatically make, puts you more in touch with that forgiving part of yourself. And, and it's, and and the most important piece of this is that we begin to forgive ourselves first for not being perfect, for not having been able to prevent this horrible event. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the uh, guilt that, um, you know, many of us feel uh, on some level that we weren't able to prevent something uh, whether it's whether it's childish to believe that or rational or wishful thinking, I mean it's um, it's you know that there's a kind of regret that people feel about um, a lot of these tragic events, uh, saying, "Oh my God, was there anything that I could have done? Could I have said something?" You know, people that knew these two uh, young men uh, who were the uh, who were the, the, the killers. Um, you know, what do we what do we learn about them? that maybe somebody could have paid attention to earlier on. And if you're, if you're the girlfriend or if you're the wife or the partner or, you know, the mother, you know, you're probably thinking, you know, oh, my God, I'll never forgive myself because I didn't see this or I didn't do that. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a lot to, to live with that level of pain and forgiving. Yeah. If we step into life to be forgiving, it's like, it's like putting, um, you know, bacitracin on a wound. 
you know, it soothes the edges of the wound so it can begin to heal. So that we can well, feel better as we heal. Yes, yes. And I think this all leads to um, that ultimate thing that most of us go kicking and screaming into, which is growth. Right. Absolutely. I said they're the unbearable gifts. <laughs> <laughs> They're the unbearable gifts. Yeah, now yeah. we, I mean, we could spend the entire hour talking about your book. You know how much I love it, and how many places I've sent it, and uh, you know, and how important I think it is to this country. But let's talk a little bit about PTSD after a disaster, after some kind of an incident that we have gone through. And I say this, whether it's weather or fire or shootings or um, even a, just a death of your spouse or death in the family, we can develop an emotional reaction to that, uh, that and, and it's a post-traumatic stress disorder. It has been named, thank God. So it's we're most familiar in this country with, with that term being associated with the military, when right. um, men and women come back from, um, you know, when our troops come back from mm-hmm. being at war, they have uh, physical symptoms, they have lost limbs, they have emotional problems. Lori, let's address it in two ways. Let's address it in the most heinous situation of the military in war, and then let's address it uh, for ordinary Americans who get uh, sideswiped by a traumatic natural event or a traumatic crime. Well, I think, you know, the the key difference would be the, um, you know, the amount of exposure as when you know when our when our troops go off you know in on a military operation, they know that there's going to be you know bloodshed. Um, they they are mentally prepared to go in and to do battle and to to witness things that are you know really heinous and, and horrifying, and to do it very often because they have a sense of responsibility to our country if if that's what it takes. So it's it's. Uh, it's, uh, so when, the, when they come back to you know civilian life, and you know people just want to watch the game and go shopping, uh, you know they 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 can't adjust to this reality because of what they've been through. So that there's a a kind of a, a you know the, the PTSD is it stands for post traumatic stress disorder. It 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 surfaces at the earliest it would surface would be six months after an event like this, and it can show up in terms of like arousal, hyper arousal, um, the feeling that you're going to jump out of your skin, the expectation that, you know, something's coming around the corner, uh, flashbacks in which your body actually feels as if it's living through that experience again. Uh, so you have flashbacks, you have arousal and avoidance uh, where you can develop a phobia about uh, leaving your house because you feel so unsafe in your own skin. So, you know, this is now happening in this country to such an extent that a few weeks ago, um, the the Centers for Disease Control declared PTSD to be a national epidemic with 44 million Americans. And um, I don't know how that breaks down into civilian and military, but uh, 44 million Americans are, are, are reported, reported to be suffering from PTSD. I think that that is um, not an accurate statistic because most people don't recognize how serious this can be and they don't report it or go for help. 
So it's it's it really is an elephant in the room. You know, you talk, talk love your title. You know, the the hidden secret of PTSD. It it is uh, it is an element in the it, it is an elephant in the room. Because 44 million people, that's a lot of people walking around, you know, in a kind of state of, you know, hypervigilance and a startle response where you're, you're ready to jump out of your skin and, you know, you have extreme fear. And this leads to sleeping problems, suggesting, you know, digestion problems, um, headaches, um, nervousness. It can increase your blood pressure I mean, just from a physical stress point of view, but it can cause you, you know, to be confused or forgetful it can be you know difficult to uh make decisions that you that you need to make um you know it can be physically uncomfortable and you know you can you can just really begin to withdraw from life because of it and um it can hit anyone at any time uh because a traumatic event is very simply one that brings us face to face with a sudden violent event in which there was loss of life and so we either we survived it, we witnessed it, or we were close to somebody who was affected by it in some way. And, that, and this that, can that affect mean, our... I just want to say it doesn't mean it's not a bad hair day. You know, if something is upsetting to us, that doesn't really mean it was traumatic. Yes, and and the... And, and this particular disorder uh, can happen to you at work. It can happen to you at home. You can find yourself in situations acting out and not knowing why. What can be done? How can people get help? How how can this be uh, uh, ameliorated, if you will? Well, I I think um, you know there's there are many websites, and the, the government has put up. Uh, some excellent websites, VA.gov, and the uh, Centers for Disease Control, the Mayo Clinic, National Institutes of Health. Um, you know, if you Google PTSD, there, there's a lot of really excellent information that, that's, that's readily available. And I think that's one of the things that has kind of brought this out into the open is that there, there is, you know, uh, you know, the, the public awareness of, of mental health issues is, is really improving. Um, and, and, you know, we're not in the dark ages anymore, although um, we, we do have some very serious emotional, you know, distress and meltdown issues that, you know, that we have to address as a society because, um, you know, and that's where I think the five gifts kind of transcend the differences in politics and race and, and gender and culture and religion because the five gifts are universal and they they are true in these kinds of traumatic situations that people in other countries have lived with for centuries. You know, this is, this is not, you know, a new thing. If you speak to somebody who grew up in Europe uh, during World War II, or you speak to somebody who uh, worked in Rwanda during the time of the genocide, or you speak to an Israeli mother or father about, you know, how they, you know, what do they teach their children? So that they can, you know, live on the, you know, on the edge of um, these attacks that are part of, you know, part of life in Israel. Um, we don't have that mentality, and and the five gifts are are part of that mentality that that keep us human uh, with each other instead of uh, super protective and hyper vigilant. 
you know, we, we have to be able to give to each other for, for comfort and support. Does PTSD need to be diagnosed for us to know that we have it? You know, that's a good question. It, it does not, um, although very often um, if, the, if the signs or the indications of PTSD uh, have reached the point where you really are withdrawing from life or um, you're, you're not able, you, you don't feel that you're able to function, um, you know, at home or in a relationship, uh, it, it, uh, it literally takes over your body. It, it, it's, like, it's like your body feels hot-wired by electricity and you just want to jump out of your skin. It, it's a horrible, uh, horrible sensation. And uh, if, if that's how you're feeling it, you, you really need to get medical help. You need to, to find um, a psychiatrist first who uh, specializes in PTSD and get an accurate diagnosis. And then um, you can explore your options, which are both holistic and, um, and um, you know, homeopathic and, um, and pharmaceutical or um, nutritional. I mean, there are all kinds of different ways and combinations of ways to approach our mental health these days. So we have a lot of tools that we can use. So, you know, you can, you can identify those symptoms. Um, you know, it will put you hopefully in a, in a, in a mode of actively wanting to do research and find the best way of helping yourself so that you don't feel like you're jumping out of your skin. Because it's out there. There, there are tools. There's information. There are support groups. There's a lot of uh, you know free support, and there's a lot of a lot of websites. I mean, it's you, you don't have to do it alone anymore. And I think that's, can, that's a that's a great can thing. Can PTSD? Can as I'm sorry, <laughs> the delay here. Sometimes I talk uh, over you. Uh, um, the uh, can PTSD be cured or just managed? You know, because it's all of our all of our emotions are stored as molecules in the part of the brain which is the limbic system, which is where all of those molecules of emotion uh, are stored, and all of our emotions originate um, as, in the form of, of uh, kind of um, not so synapses, but uh, you know neurochemicals in the brain, like uh, serotonin or cortisol, you know, stress stress hormones pleasure hormones, oxytocin, Um, and those hormones uh, can be triggered by a reaction to any of the five physical senses. So something we see, we hear, we feel, uh, we we smell, we touch. Um, It could be a little bit of music. It could be, you know, a, a smell of turkey roasting that takes you back to your childhood, to, you know, your grandmother's kitchen. Um, so they, these, these associations are chemical and we, uh, we re-experience the memory as a cascade of these chemicals that, that are how we, we humans express our emotions. And so with trauma molecules, conversely, the horror of what we experienced or witnessed is also stored as like a little capsule, like a little molecule. And that can also be very sensitive and it can be reactivated years and years and years later after your conscious mind has forgotten that you ever had any uh, contact or connection with that, um, you know, with, with that, with that moment or that experience. And so you never know is the answer. Um, the molecules of emotion are there. Um, they don't go away. 
There are a lot of uh, techniques that we have now for um, repositioning them, uh, realigning them, eye movement, repatterning, um, uh, emotional freedom technique, which is acupressure on acupuncture meridians. It tells the body how to release uh, some of the emotions that are still stored in the self. Um, because a lot of a lot of our trauma, the emotional trauma that we re-experience years later, uh, is because it, 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 it's a chemical it's a chemical response to a trigger or memory, and so you can't really cure it because it's kind of part of our biology if if we've had these experiences, but we can learn how to um, not just you know cope with it or live with it. But we, we can we can find a way for it to be a catalyst to transform our life in some way because we really you know it, it's like I really need to do something with this horrible horrible feeling so that uh, maybe I can contribute to the healing of somebody else who has this horrible horrible feeling uh, which I think is you know that we call it very often post traumatic post traumatic growth. Someone who's been through hell comes out the other side, says, wow, that was like, I I can't imagine how horrible that is, but let me be there for somebody else uh, down the road who may be going through something that's just as horrible. And that's what you see in El Paso. You know, you see the people reaching out, you know, families helping families, you know, thousands and thousands of, you know, flowers and all the crosses and the art, you know, this, this outpouring of community which we saw in New York after September 11th, when sometimes a disaster brings it forth. And that can also be part of the foundation for post-traumatic growth because you you want to sustain that because it just feels real. It it, it gives you a sense of strength and purpose and connection. Well, and one of the things that um, I think you know, and I know um, Hercules and the audience knows that I'm also – uh, I work with aromatherapy and essential oils, and I do know oh. that in some cases of PTSD, going, being able to reach the limbic system with a, with a new mm-hmm. fragrance, with something that alters that memory, especially when a person is on the verge of or in the throes of um, uh, the, the, the highly charged situation, aromatherapy can mitigate that, reach the limbic system, through the olfactory bulb exactly. and change the the chemical reactions or begin to at least for the moment and if if one tends to want to do that on a repeated basis lavender is one of the really good ones that helps with that as is uh, roman chamomile because those are soothing uh, fragrances and when they reach the brain the brain is soothed so there's Mm -hmm. things that people can do at home for themselves when they've been through a trauma that's one of the gentle ways you also mentioned homeopathic remedies there are some of those too so it doesn't have to be hardcore uh, uh Drugs. You don't have to be on some kind of a drug, but you can do gentle things for yourself and for your body that helps you relieve those highly charged moments when you feel like you're out of control and back into your disorder, into your trauma. When you're back there, it's uh, it helps bring you forward. And I think you know, I've always wanted to. 
add another uh, sixth thing, thing to your book, and that is evolution, to say that once we have grown, now we have evolved. And as right. if we can go through your five points, we end up at this place where we have used them, honed them, become better people, and then evolved our entire uh, uh, our entire humanity. We've we've brought everybody forward with us through this terrible, terrible disaster. Exactly. And um, and we've, we've changed organically. You know, we talk about evolution. There's biological evolution, the mindful evolution, that uh, we, we, can, we can begin to make some choices about how we process trauma so that um, it doesn't get, you know, kind of released into the uh, DNA of future generations because they're just starting to do research in that. And there's a lot that, that we can do by working on ourselves to kind of calm down uh, the, the trauma brain chemistry that could be very helpful to uh, future generations as well. I want to sort of wrap up here in the next 90 seconds, Lori. Let's go over your five gifts again. First of all, the book is called The Five Gifts, Discovering Hope, Healing, and Strength When Disaster Strikes. It's on Amazon. It's a beautiful book. If you have been through a disaster, get it for yourself. If you know people that have been through a disaster, buy it for them and send it to them. So the first gift, Lori, is humility. Humility, uh, which is the the gift of just accepting that you know that reality as we know it has been uh, ripped away. Patience is the gift of of uh, just letting things take as long as they're going to take. Uh, not being angry with yourself or someone if they haven't you know gone forward enough. Uh, there's no timetable for healing. Empathy is how we stay connected. Uh, forgiving ourselves is the place we need to begin because we weren't able to uh, prevent what happened. And growth is, uh, is really when we're able to, to you know, integrate this experience so that we can you know, come out stronger and lead more fulfilling lives. Well, you certainly did that with your experience of Sandy and all the trauma that you went through, rebuilding, having that, having to abandon all of that. I mean, you've been, you know, you've been down the gauntlet and back yourself several times. And and that brought you to write this book, which is indeed the gift to our planet, indeed a helpful healer for for many of us. And I would just like to thank you so much for that. I know it helped me, Lori, and it's helped many of my neighbors get through the Thomas oh. Fire. Thank and you is there so anything much. that you would like to say, world, or it just means the world to me? I'm sorry to interrupt. I I just means the world to me. Thank you so much for saying that. Well, you're very welcome. And how can people find you, Lori? Uh, well, I have a website which is uh, uh, in the process of being redesigned, uh, but you can still uh, you, you can reach me at laurienadel.com. It's L-A-U-R-I-E-N-A-D-E-L.com. Uh, or you can uh, find me on Twitter at Dr. Lori. Uh, and uh, my phone number is two one. Uh, I'm sorry, I have a new number. So uh, you, yes, you can still call me at two one two five six zero twenty three thirty three and leave a voicemail message, and I will personally call you back. 
Well, I don't think it gets any better than that, Dr. Lori. I mean, I love you with my heart and soul, and I'm so grateful that you're on this earth and that our paths have crossed. And I thank you for your time. I thank you for your heart, and I thank you above all for your wisdom and your courage. I love you. Thank you, Jack. Igualmente, I love you too. Thank you so much for being thank part you, of my journey. Thank you, and I think we can turn this back over to okay. Hercules. Right. Wow, what a show! I just this was uh, um, a very deep, uh, timely, and uh, game-changing and life-transforming uh, um, hour. Thank you to both of you. Thank you. Oh my God, thank you, Kak. You're an amazing interviewer. Brilliant questions. Yes, she is. We, Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's just been great. I had uh, questions to bring Hercules in, too, but we ran out of time. So, Lori, will you please come back another time? I'd like to continue this and, and bring in Hercules, too. He is a healer and amazing, and the three of us together can have a dynamite discussion. Well, thank you. I would love to. Uh, I really thank you so much for another invitation. I think it would be awesome. Okay, we'll do it. All right. Thanks again. Yes, a, a brief break and listen to Bumpo's Orchestra's Cry Freedom. And then we'll be back with the Empowered Hour. And again, I cannot thank you guys enough. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys.
ever-expanding universe Trust that brain behind your eyes To carve a space for us within the universal mind And if it's up to us to bring some balance back Let it not be said, it's courage that we
Project. I'm Hercules Invictus, and this is the Empowered Hour. We seem to be having connectivity uh, issues again, so until we get them resolved, uh, I will orient you as to what we're all about, uh, share what we've done, and what we plan on doing. Um, most of our shows and most of my efforts come under the umbrella of the Age of Heroes. Um, the Age of Heroes uh, is an initiative that proclaimed, uh, it's almost 20 years ago now, uh, that the age of the victim is finally over and the Age of Heroes has begun. The way of the hero posits that one must utilize what's an individual's strength to make one's world a better place. One need not be perfect or operating from ideal circumstances either. Are not the heroes that inspire us often tragically flawed? Are their lives not in a state of flux and full of uncertainty? Does this prevent them from attempting and accomplishing great things? Our Age of Heroes initiatives have harnessed the creative energy and focused the attention of many heroic individuals with radically diverse backgrounds over the years, directing it towards improving the collective quality of human life. The Age of Heroes welcomes secular, intrafaith, and interfaith participation. As with the Argonaut expedition of old, the children of different and sometimes warring gods are invited to partner with exceptional mortals to face great challenges and accomplish something that really needs to get done. In the early dawn of this new millennium, uh, roughly from 2000 to 2005, I partnered with individuals and organizations to stem the tide of the ever-growing digital divide in New York City. Our collective efforts led to a free computer drop-in center uh, in downtown Brooklyn and an innovative intern-extern volunteer program called New Shores. Our adventures were chronicled through the e-radio show Navigating the Digital Divide, a comic strip in Big News, a few cliffhanger tales on Psych Journey, presentations at conferences, and an Age of Heroes special episode in the third season of my Fringe uh, TV show. Roughly from 2005 to 2014, the focus was much narrower. Uh, we championed literacy, and that's functional, vocational, cultural, informational, digital, multicultural, and environmental literacy in rural northeastern Pennsylvania and northwestern New Jersey. 
through uh, our individual efforts and through our mythic 501C, which uh, operated from 2007 to 2013. And um, we coordinated and uh, uh, did cooperative endeavors with local individuals and organizations. And we were chronicled in local media and through our website. And now that our sojourn has returned us to northeastern New Jersey, where we've um, been residing for the, next ha- the last half decade or so, uh, in the greater New York metropolitan area, I'm inspired uh, to dedicate myself to actualizing the ultimate dream, manifesting Elysium in the here and now. Elysium is the highest heaven the mortal mind can conceive, and the Elysium project is thus. Uh, the ultimate accomplishment. And this show is one of the manifestations of the uh, Elysium project, which I will explain a little bit more uh, after our uh, song. So we are going to go to Man in the Moon by Brian Hinkey.
everyone. Welcome back to the Elysium Project. This is Hercules Invictus, and we're doing a music and orientation show uh, right now. Uh, I was talking about uh, the Elysium Project and uh, its uh, manifestations in the world. Aside from uh, this uh, radio show, uh, we also have something called Destiny Quest. Uh, and Destiny Quest is a vocational program that is currently being run primarily through the Quest Skill Public Library. So let me explain Destiny Quest a little bit. Our dreams are important. They guide us toward a better tomorrow. Yet it is what we do now in the present moment that determines if our dreams will ever come true. Your being here means that you're motivated to move forward in life and are determined to create a better future for yourself and your loved ones. I salute you. And now let the adventure begin. What we do for a living helps define our place in the greater human community. The quest for one's purpose, one's calling, one's true vocation is often a lifelong pursuit. Each job, each volunteer experience, each action we take towards self-improvement and skill acquisition is a step forward in this never-ending journey of self-discovery and self-expression. Though it may often feel like you're alone during times of uncertainty and transition, it is important to realize that you are not. We are all in this quest together, whether we are self-employed, working full-time, part-time, or not at all. Perhaps we can assist each other on this life-changing adventure. You are hereby invited to join our fellowship by utilizing the resources contained at the Crestfield Public Library. Uh, my current destiny quest is to align myself with opportunities that will help me actualize my greater purpose, which I will return to after uh, the next uh, music break. It's my personal belief that our greatest assets arise from our uniqueness and that it is our responsibility to claim our own personal power, cultivate our unique gifts, and dedicate them to the betterment of our world. I wish you all joyous journeys and great success. Um, we do a lot of shows on vocation and primarily during the fourth Wednesday of every month where we do shows uh, with the American Workforce Association where we explore people in various uh, careers and they share their secrets on uh, how they began and how they progressed down these particular uh, pathways and uh, occasionally there's news and information on things going on in the uh, larger world. So now we're going to listen to Castalia Alexandrian's The Wheel It Is Turning.
the virgin with babe in arms, newborn younglings nurse, the seedlings stir as winter snows melt, and the earth now
to the powers of earth, sea and sky Of dragon and fairy in shades of the night We call to our ancestors of blood and bone Of womb and tomb and standing stone Lady, stir your cauldron well Chant to your words and sing your spell Within this darkened hall Hear the goddess carried when called Come and taste of the cauldron's brew And magic she will give to you You will dance in the eye of the storm Your carried when's children The cauldron born Oh lady, stir your cauldron well Chant your words and sing your spell Within this darkened hall Hear the goddess carried when called Come and taste of the cauldron's brew And magic she will give to you You will dance in the eye of the storm Your carried when's children The cauldron born
Though the choice of Hercules is told as a one-time event in Hercules' eventful life, in truth we are always at a crossroads and always confronted with key choices that determine our destiny. In order of Thebes' greatest hero, I resolved to choose my future courses of action as wisely as my deepest insights and highest perspectives allowed. I would forever strive for personal excellence by discovering, cultivating, and sharing my own unique gifts toward the betterment of all. Uh, Those of you who know me know that uh, I am guided by these uh, myths, and I have been for a very long time. Um, I will share with you my primal vision uh, that has guided me since uh, childhood. It often did not make sense to me, uh, especially early on in my life, but uh, it has uh, uh, proven more and more meaningful as my life progresses. And uh, this vision is exactly the same uh, now for going on, I guess, uh, over 50 years. I glimpsed the top of a mountain shrouded in mist. Hovering on high, I can discern the ruins of an ancient Acropolis complex in the timeless twilight. I await alone, formless in the silence. In time, a lone figure, powerfully built and clad in the skin of a lion, makes his way toward the abandoned temple of the highest. His hair and beard are still mostly brown, though streaked with white and gray. In his right hand, he wields a knobby club studded with bronze. My consciousness enters this figure, and henceforth I see through his eyes. I know that I am now Hercules, son of Zeus, and progenitor of my line. Entering the fallen structure, I move through it unerringly until I reach a rectangular stone table, a long-neglected altar to the Olympians. Upon the altar is an antique horn from a heavenly bull, I tell myself. I then realize that I've been here many times before and that I know exactly what I must do. The horn is of monstrous size and etched with arcane glyphs. Some of the etchings are inlaid with silvery metal. I put down my club, cautiously lift the artifact to my lips, then blow into the smaller end with all my strength. The bellowing call echoes through the firmaments. With the horn of summoning still in hand, I exit the temple and peer purposefully into the murky skies near where I myself once hovered. I can detect faint presences, spirits that have answered my summons who will help me in carrying out my Olympian mission. Some take on form while others remain formless, but this I know. All who have responded will assist me in some unique and important way. And with this realization, the vision starts to fade. I am blessed with a brief glimpse of the ruins restored to their former glory. The skies lambent blue and clear. There are mythic beings engaged in joyous activity. I myself among them. And I realize that this is Mount Olympus, my eternal point of origin return, my heaven and my soul's true home. And now onward to another song.
Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. <laughs>